Okay, so let's talk a little bit about... Let me turn Mono Man down. Oh, what up, Mono Man? You know I love you. You keep me fucking sane while these dogs are barking. Okay, back to the podcast. Let's talk a little bit about um, the pronunciation of names and why that's important. So as a part of a decolonization process, and particularly as this is institutionalized with context of governments um, and kind of the overarching powers of the Commonwealth, particularly here in Australia. What has been previously a normative mispronunciation ain't such a big fucking deal is actually something that is a, a massive kind of problem. When you have people who have been completely... Uh, where there have been attempts to indoctrinate them uh, and to brainwash them to perform uh, this kind of psychological and psychiatric um, eugenicism on people's bodies and personhoods, the context of language becomes really, really important. And so the process of the reclamation of language is something that is not... It's not a factor that people can just kind of like overlook. And I'll give you an example because I've had this as a consistent issue um, where people have mispronounced my name. Where to begin? I mean, should I start on the root of where my name comes from? The beautiful and fabulous history around it, the contemporary history around it, how it came to be in a part of my mother's language. Um, or my father's language, like where, where to begin with this narrative. So I'm pretty, um, I think I'll start, first of all, I'll say I'm pretty insulted when people mispronounce my name. If you send me a letter where my name is mispronounced, I'll look at it like, yeah, that's clearly not a letter for me. That's a letter for someone else. This person is not engaging with me as a person. They're engaging with an identity that they have exoticized in accordance with their comfort zone. If they hadn't done that, then they would actually be pronouncing my name correctly. And so I take quite a, you know, a great deal of offense. Also, my children all have uh, native names. So this is a part of a language that has been lost or a set of languages that have been lost or suppressed particularly in my parents' generation where uh, people were penalised for not using um, the English language in a way that people felt that it should be used, white people specifically, where there was a power dynamic and there was this kind of cultural reproduction uh, as a form of violence and symbolic violence through, through language. Um, and so a part, one way that people all over the world have been addressing that is this recla reclamation of language or ownership of the English language in context of how they identify and are situated within it as a power dynamic. And English is no longer the world's most spoken language. I think the current competing interests are Mandarin, um, from China, and also Spanish. 
uh, that's through population. So more people in the world speak both Mandarin and Spanish than they do the English language. So where there was this kind of um, colloquial center of language as an expression of civilization, uh, and that was affiliated with kind of these, um, you know, historic processes of colonization. Um, it's been decentralized in the contemporary era as the most significant or even sophisticated spoken language on the planet, just, just by sheer numbers, just by sheer numbers in terms of the way the world engages with itself, right? Um, so my particular group, my particular family, I mean, let's not go to clan yet, but my particular family um, engaged in this kind of decolonization process through language. And we relate... I mean, the English language itself is like a bastard language. It is a bastardization of different languages and has a lot of Latin roots in it. Um, and if you look at, you know, classical English, if you look at the era of Shakespeare, Shakespearean English, for example, it's quite different and sometimes, you know, incomprehensible when you, when you speak, um, you know, modern vernacular or modern English. And it, it requires some study and some kind of, some training of the brain to be able to absorb and understand you know, the world through the lens of Shakespeare, even though he's speaking, in, he's writing in English. Classical English defines a different world with different systems, ways of being in the world. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm actually a fan of Shakespeare. So I've, my favorite Shakespearean uh, play is The Tempest. Um but everybody's kind of familiar with, with some Shakespeare works uh, in some way or other. So even, again, just to reiterate, even Shakespearean English is a different experience from the contemporary English that we normatively use as a society. And society at large, as a global population, does not center around the dominance of the English language. Spanish is the most prominently spoke language on the planet and Mandarin. So there's a very strong relationship with um, power and language. Uh, and we can go back to the kind of imperialist era because this is where it comes from. Um, so the king or the queen can, um, dictate law through language. Their word is quite literally, um, law.
and people like to talk about language as though it doesn't have an important history throughout uh you know the european world but it, it does anywhere that there was imperialism where a king or queen spoke what they said was quite literally the law that governed the land um, and as a part of a kind of process of addressing that as a power dynamic and many people of the world have coded language coded languages um whereby which they communicate with each other and it has resulted out of um, oppression an oppressive power dynamic and this is where you know Freire's pedagogy of the um, oppressed is really an important it is really an important um, teaching tool teaching and learning tool um, language is used in law to uh, so police, you know, we, we understand that police undertake this process of what they call funneling, where they used where they use language and tones um, in an aggressive manner to kind of uh, draw out one uh, uh, a type of. Um, a, a kind of power struggle in which they seek to dominate through their, their use of language, tactical language. And they do this in the process of criminalizing and or, um, you know, learning about criminal processes or informing with respect to criminal processes. And so it's, it's a really, it's still a very important characteristic of the law how law is interpreted it, with, with, in the actual court system says something about um, who holds power and who does not. And so the kind of misuse of particular vernaculars that have been developed as a form of coded language for those who have been historically oppressed, usually racially, um, is often misinterpreted in law. And so we kind of see this blow up with um, the whole free speech thing. And the N-word is, is, is really just an important characterization of that, where we have African-Americans who freely use the language as a form of coded um, and collective reclamation but where it's incredibly um, offensive and just wrong, bitch, really, for white people or people of an other group to use that language without um, to use that kind of language. Period. Like, let's not let's not create, you know. But if you can use it in this context or that context. Um, that it's okay you know if I'm reading from a document and it says that it's okay for me to say it yeah no that's that's not the case and I remember having um, some thoughts about Coleman Hughes's comments on what he argued was the excessive misinterpretation of people using words that even sound like the n-word 
as a um, arguing that it's offensive. And that, quite frankly, comes from, um, you know, a, a historic way of learning and teaching, particularly with groups who are, where knowledge is, where they have been either kept out of the um, centralised edu Western education system and knowledge has been passed through uh, word of mouth and often a lot of it coding resistance movements or where there has been um, just, you know, a part of ways of being in the world that have been excluded from Western education. <coughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. Um, that have been considered either... Uh, inept by virtue of the fact that it comes from a group who are othered or are black. And so, you know, the, the phonetics of language is, is incredibly important. Um, for some groups, although it may not exist as far as a centralised kind of narrative. So to return to what I was saying earlier... Um, it's really, really important for me that pe that when people pronounce my name, they say it correctly. And there are all of those reasons that I've named for it. But there's also a very specific historical point that I will make about the assimilation process and my father's experience of being a child who was kidnapped by the state. And part of that story includes not being given a name, but being called out by a serial number. So, so dehumanised to the point that you are only referred to as a serial number. And that is, you know, a way to kind of swipe your identity and to reaffirm that you are simply, you know, a product of an institution, not someone who is entitled to love or any other element of, of, of humanity, including um, to be recognised by the name that your parents called you. So I take great issue with it and extend that even further with my children, whose names are Korokai, Murnyando and Yoromirai, and they are all linguistically um, a part of the native groups that existed in this country um, and have, you know, co direct correlation to my own or their own lineages um, as, a, as, as, a, as a way of informing of their existence in the world to everybody who encounters them on a daily basis. Uh, so I, I just want to kind of further add that one of the reasons that this settlement was given with respect to my father um, is clearly outlined as identity. 
So identity, including name, who you are, where you come from, what your lineage is, were all packaged in this um, compensation, you know, these indemnities that were paid to him with the promise that it would also be a way in which systems and officials would correct themselves when dealing with his children and future generations. So there is a restorative value to it, but also it is a, a pledge, a legal pledge to discontinue this behavior and understand how it affects the lives of people. Um, and so that is my position on naming. When you speak to me, speak my name correctly. Um, and if you don't, I will pretty much just consider it like, you know, you're not, you are not prepared to engage with me as a, as a real person. You're prefer, preferring to engage with some kind of exoticized um, fabrication of me. And that's not the fuck how we're going to get down. <laughs>